Okay, so we've talked a lot uh, about a lot of the general topics, general topics that are general more in a sense of what both the Mahayana traditions and the Theravadan traditions share in common. The 12 limbs of, uh, 12 links of uh, dependent origination, that was the last thing we talked about. Before that, we talked about the Four Noble Truth, and we talked about more of the, uh, the, the subtle aspects of the Four Noble Truth. And we talked a, a lot about the social makeup, the general social makeup of Buddhism. Now we are going more into uh, uh, Mahayana Buddhism, specifically uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And the teaching that somewhat summarizes uh, all of, of, uh, of uh, Mahayana Tibetan Buddhism is included in, in, the, in the type of teaching called the Lam Rim teachings, stages of the path. Uh, I remember the first time uh, I used to I encountered that uh, encountered that, that, that teaching stages of the I mean uh, how do you feel when you hear that stages of the path do you, do you feel you need more flat clarification as to what, what 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 do they mean by stages what do they mean by the path what, what does it mean to you to hear stages of the path Teachings on the stages of the path. I always liked it. I like that. I, it means to me like um, you take it one step at a time. You know, there's uh, stages. You know, I like that. That's, that's what it meant to me. I don't know what it really means. Okay. That's what I'm asking. Stages. Yeah. Steps. Yeah. Uh, okay. 
the stages of the, the teachings called the stages of the path uh, were first uh, uh, introduced to Tibet by uh, uh, by uh, mm. yes uh, the Tibetans called him Atisha his, his name before he became Atisha was Dipankar What's happening? This is what the cat wants to do. Oh, this is, oh, okay. Close the door. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> we need time to a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tie the cat to a tree. Yeah. Okay. I'll Uh, I don't remember with whom I was talking this with. Uh, somebody in a car on a trip one day. We were talking about uh, exactly when could it be said that the Tibetans were introduced to uh, Buddhism. And since uh, at the time of the Buddha, well, I mean, short, uh, shortly after the, the time of the Buddha, after the Buddha passed away, his disciples you know, sort of spread out throughout the continent of India and you said throughout Asia, uh, spreading the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, since Tibet is always considered to be that very far away land, not just far away, but very difficult to get to, you have to go through snow and ice literally to get to see somebody. And the mountains are difficult to, to go over. So uh, perhaps. Uh, it, uh, in the early dissemination, when the disciples of the Buddha were so, uh, going for, going out, uh, they didn't, maybe they didn't make it out to Tibet. But I'm sure some Tibetans or the traders who uh, who were making contact with China with uh, other people may have come up may, may have come up uh, uh, in contact with uh, the earlier form of, of, of Buddhism. The what, what, what the the uh, the Theravadins are said to be the those who have inherited the earliest form of Buddhism. It doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that the way that the Theravadins are practicing Buddhism right now is exactly to the letter the way that uh, the earliest Buddhists were were practicing. Uh, no one can make no one can make that claim because of uh, uh, the the ch changing of time, changing of society, changing of people. Of course, will change everything. Just like uh, right now, no no Christian right now can say the way they're practicing Christianity right now is exactly the way Christianity was practiced when it was first named Christianity, or even whatever religion uh, uh, that exists or philosophy that exists right now that is being that goes back at least a thousand years. No one can make such a claim. But the 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 Theravadins. <coughs> Inherited uh, the philosophy of the what you might call the earliest uh, Buddhists, okay. uh, but not in the sense of uh, because that sort of give you the an understanding that that there was a change that came that wasn't there before, and then other people inherited that change. But just like uh, what I'm mentioning, the earliest form of Buddhism. Did it reach Tibet? And it, it it may have reached Tibet, but it didn't spread out. It didn't uh, uh, <coughs> propagate that like the way it did in other countries. It didn't become 
uh, it may have been some uh, exotic uh, item that a few people had, and then perhaps uh, it just died with just one generation, or maybe the uh, one person transmitted to another person. So there was some sort of a, that, that form of Buddhism uh, around in Tibet. And then later on, when uh, especially after, after uh, uh, the Mahayana Buddhism almost went through its... Uh, uh, oh, she got in. <laughs> oh, she, she came in through... Uh, yeah. Who's your logic? Your logic? Yeah, yeah, but it has to be pretty much direct contact. Oh, okay. She'll she'll be on my lap. Okay. Right. Uh, uh, so Buddhism arrived in Tibet eventually, and uh, Mahayana Buddhism is uh, was the form of Buddhism that became very popular in in, in Tibet. But also, the, the reason for stating about the earliest form of, of, of Buddhism, all these forms of Buddhism were in Tibet. Because you could say Tibet was like the last place Buddhism arrived, as far as Asia is concerned. It was already flourishing in China, already flourishing in, uh, in Burma and all the other places, most of, 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 uh, of India. And finally, it made its way to Tibet. And when it, made, when it made its way to Tibet, it wasn't just Tibetan, it wasn't just Buddhists from India arriving and introducing Buddhism. It was also Chinese arriving to, to, India, to Tibet and then presenting their, their form of Buddhism to, to, to the Tibetans. And also there were uh, Tibetans who were, who were either because of, uh, because of uh, the, somehow the tradition arrived there or because they just knew about it there were, uh, there were Tibetans also who were following the Theravadan tradition. Okay? So there were all these forms of Buddhism in, in Tibet. And so they, they, they arrived there, they, they set up shop, just like here in the United States, in the West, you could say, we have Theravadan form of Buddhism, we have Zen form of Buddhism, we have Tibetan form of Buddhism, we have all these forms of Buddhism. But at that time, uh, when all these kinds of Buddhism uh, were uh, arriving in, in, uh, in, in, in Tibet, it was considered, uh, for the most part, they were considered to be like uh, um, rivals of each other. They didn't see each other as one unified uh, philosophy just set up for different kinds of minds. They sort of see that uh, if you're following Theravadin and not following it, you're wrong, I'm right. I'm, f I'm following the right one, you're following the wrong one. And this sort of set up a, 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 a sense of uh, confusion for, for later generation as to which one to follow. Uh, is, is there one that you shouldn't follow? Uh, so because of this, uh, uh, since uh, Tibetan form of Buddhism was sort of patronized by, by the royalty, depending, on, the, depending on, on, the, on who was in power at the time, because there were, there were uh, uh, kings who, who preferred to patronize the Pern the traditional uh, uh, religion, and who actually perse persecuted uh, Buddhism. And of course, there were Buddhist kings who persecuted the Bern. So there was going back and forth. Okay. So eventually, uh, at, the time, at that time, there was a, 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 a king who, who was very much uh, into, into Buddhism, 
and to sort of uh, settle this dispute about who was right, who was wrong, they invited Atisha because they considered Atisha to be uh, uh, Atisha had the reputation of being uh, interestingly enough Atisha's reputation uh, it may not make sense right now but uh, he's is, uh, uh, not just being a great scholar of Buddhism but being a great scholar in general in the sense that he was able to co- uh, truly distinguish what is Buddhism and what is not and so you can, so you can sort of uh, understand that just like in Tibet, there was this sort of confusion going on about who is right, who is wrong about Buddhism, and what did the Buddha say, what did the Buddha didn't say. In, in India, and I think India right now, it, uh, uh, before, uh, before, uh, Tibetan, before the Tibetans arrived in, in India, but, you know, but around that time, not exactly before, but around that time before the Tibetans arrived in India, uh, you can still see remnants of, in India, people uh, not making a distinction between Buddhism and other, uh, other Indian uh, uh, religions in, in India. They consider it all to be the same thing. Uh, either the Buddhists, uh, those who are, you could say, who are mainly Buddhists in India, also uh, took on philosophies and practices of non-Buddhist religions, and the non-Buddhist religions Although the, the main thing, the main practice is you know, Krishna or something like that, they also took on some of the some of the elements of Buddhist practice. They even considered uh, the Buddha to be one of their one of their gods or one of their uh, 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 saints, even though they were not traditionally Buddhist. So this was going on for a long time in in, in India, and uh, and to be able to say. This person is able to really clearly distinguish Buddhism from non-Buddhism. Uh, it was considered to be like a great feat, a great, a, a great, a great scholastic uh, uh, feat. And Atisha was uh, reputed to be one of those to actually be able to do that. Dipamkara, Shrichnya, Shrichnya, Dipamkara. Forgot this. Just remember Dipamkara. Shrichnya, maybe. Well, uh, he, he, he came to be known as Atisha when he arrived in Tibet. His name wasn't always Atisha. It was Dipankara. I, I forgot the, the other part. So he was invited, and his, his intention was to go to Tibet, see what, see what they want, and, and sort of uh, settle the dispute and go back to India. So when he arrived, uh, in, finally, when he arrived in, uh, in Tibet, the, the question that was asked of him uh, w- which was very humbling. It wasn't like, you know, give me the highest initiation you've got and, and, uh, and you can go back home. Uh, it was more like, uh, 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 we are confused here. Uh, help us understand. Some people say this is the highest. Some people say this is dirty. Some people say this is not the Buddha's words. Some people say, uh, uh, I, I will not touch this. And so uh, his job was to... Uh, uh, set people straight, and it was and it was uh, to sort of appease uh, the king and to answer the question. That's how the stages of the path teaching came into existence. Now, it doesn't mean that Buddhism was never set in, into s- stages. It was it was the first time that it was actually set into uh, 
So you could say there were three sort of main corners, those who follow mainly the, the Hinayana philosophy. And we thought that only the Hina was the, was, the, uh, was the actual word of the Buddha. And there were those who followed the, the Bodhisattva ideal. And they thought that uh, uh, Hinayanists were uh, too little, too little-minded, not, not have enough uh, uh, compassion for sentient beings. And they also say, thought that the Hinayanists were uh, a lot of different ideas. They were thought that uh, some of the moral practices of the Hinayanists they didn't have to practice because they were Mahayanists, they were Bodhisattvas. And they considered that the, the Vajrayanists were corrupted people. They were just following a different form of, of, of religion and they were calling it Buddhism. And there were some of the Vajrayanists thought that they didn't have to follow any kind of ethics whatsoever because they were diamond beings. So there was no need for them to follow any ethics whatsoever. So there were, there were, so there were all these kinds of confusion, but there were these three main camps. And what, what Atisha did was to show how all these things are integrated and how they are just one path. And how they are, all these are really just stages of, the, of one path leading to the, uh, the ultimate goal. Okay. Uh, and that's what he, uh, the text that he, that, that he uh, wrote to, to deal with that, that's what it came to be known as lamp, uh, lamp of the Path. Okay. So it was a lamp for the path to enlightenment. How do you reach enlightenment? Okay, these are the step, these are the steps that you that you need to know about. These are the steps that you need to master. These are the steps that you need to realize one by one, one by one, one by one, so you can uh, get to enlightenment. But also, there were some some other kinds of uh, ideas creeping around Buddhism by some teachers who who came from uh, Zen and Chen traditions, and and also there were some uh, Tibetans also who had this idea. It's the idea of spontaneous, 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 instantaneous, instantaneous uh, enlightenment. That there were there were these teachings that uh, you just go through it and instantly you become enlightened. So it's sort of like uh, uh, did away with the idea that reach, uh, reaching enlightenment uh, occurs in stages. Right. So uh, after Atisha left. Uh, there were the those who were directly under Atisha who were following him. They came to be known as the Kadambas. There were other there were uh, other uh, sect of Buddhists in in uh, in, uh, in Tibet at that time. Uh, the there were the Nyingmapas. The Nyingmapas are the ones who are uh, the oldest sect. Their, their lineage goes back way back. In, in, uh, in, in, uh, and what the, what the, the Nyingmas mean the old, the ancient one, the, what by, whereby the ancient one, they don't mean just like they're the older one. They mean that they follow the earlier translations. So there was a, there was a concerted effort to translate the, the Tibetan, um, the Buddhist canon into, into Tibet. And there was, there was a first attempt. And after that was done, there were, there, there were later translations made. So those who follow more, mainly the earlier translations are, are really, that's why they're called the Nyingmas, the, the followers of the earlier trans translations. And those who follow the later translations, they're, they're the uh, other, 
like the 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 kagyu, the sakya, and the the, little, the last ones are the gilukpas. Okay, the kadampas now uh, came before the the gilukpas, and the kadampas the were some uh, they, they were like almost like a, a non sectarian kind of a kind of a group, uh, or they were focusing on just experience practicing. They were focusing on uh, uh, practicing the Dharma, not necessarily get, becoming great scholars of, 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 of Buddhism. Uh, so they became reputed as being the the ideal Buddhist practitioner, not just not just for those who follow the Kadampa, but all others. They were really uh, an, uh, an example for all other uh, uh, sect, and to the point where they were completely absorbed by all the other sect. And the, 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 the main teachings that, were, uh, that they had that were absorbed by the other teachers, by the other sect, were the Lam Rim teachings. That's why you find Lam Rim teachings in the Gelupas, you find it in the Sakyas. Every single Tibetan sect has a Lam Rim. They take Atisha's Lamp of the Path as their basis. And then from, the, from there... They, they, from their own experience, from their own teachings, from their own com uh, compilations, they, they have their own sort of like Lam Rim teachings. Uh, the uh, words of my perfect teacher, for example, is a Lam Rim teaching that is uh, very popular with the, with the Nyingmavas. Uh, and what, what, uh, what, is, what came to be known with, with the Galupas as, uh, as the, uh, uh, the great stages of the path, that's the, that this was written by Jason Kappa. Uh, so, so the stages of the path became very popular. Everybody sort of, uh, every uh, sect knew about them, had understanding of them. So they could sort of uh, list, okay, how, what are the stages? And they could sort of list the stages one by one. Uh, and because of personal experience, because of personal transmission, the, uh, even though they have exact, uh, most, for the most part, exactly the same number of steps, uh, what the order of the steps uh, became uh, per very personalized, you could say. So in, in what's considered the first step in Gelukpa tradition is not necessarily the first step in the, uh, in the other traditions. It doesn't mean that that first step is not, that step is not found in the other ones. It's just that they reordered the steps. Okay. Uh, and everybody has their their reasons why the uh, uh, why the uh, uh, for, for their particular order of the steps. Now, after uh, Jason Kappa uh, uh, finish, uh, it's considered to be his, uh, what was that what's that term for a great musical work? What do you call that? Opus. Is opus. opus. <laughs> so Jason Kappa's opus was is the uh, the great the the Lamrim Chenmo. Uh, uh, translated in various ways, uh, the greater stages of the of the uh, of the path, uh, uh, the the big treaties on uh, on the stages of the path. So, it basically, is Lam Rim means the stages of the path, and Chen Mo means he's a big one. <laughs> he's a big book on it. Okay, and it's it's a big book. Uh, no, no, what happened? It's in the library. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that uh, there has been, there's a new translation of it actually right now, 
Uh, see that yellow and red book over there? If you can see it. Can you get that book? Yeah, thanks. And a lot of teachings have been given on the on the Lamrim Chenmo. And and sometimes uh, the 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 te the teachings that were given on the Lamrim Chen Chenmo gained their own sort of like a, a popularity unto themselves. Uh, so this is volume two. This, this is a new a new translation by uh, these groups of people. They call the Lamrim Chenmo Translation Committee. <laughs> uh, so if a, few, a, a few translators got together to, trans to finally translate the uh, the Jason Kappa's Lamrim Chenmo. Okay, and this is the list of the people involved in the committee. Okay, so this is the second volume. So I think it only comes in three volumes. Yeah. And so, the, so if you can find this, that would be a good one. At, at the, so far, everyone, uh, uh, a lot of uh, translators who did not necessarily participate in this committee uh, th th uh, thought of, think of this transition as being a very good one. Okay. So even though this is like the main text, the main uh, text for the Lamrim Chenmo, for the Gelugpas, there are a lot of other teachings on Lamrim that have gained, uh, that have been translated already, that are much shorter, the, uh, and... Uh, that have been uh, taught uh, within the Gelupa. You have the, the fam there's another big one, which was taught by Pabon Karimpache uh, at a retreat uh, to, in a monastery to a bunch of, like, uh, uh, thousands of people attended. And that's the one that became known as Liberation in the Palm of Your Hand. Yeah. yeah. And that, that one also has three. Uh, three volumes translated by Art Engel. That's the second volume, I think, or the third volume. Yeah, this is volume. This this is the third volume. This is, uh, it comes in gold, red, and blue. Okay. Mm. Okay. So this one. So this is a. This is Pamukapabonka Rinpoche's teaching on the Lamrim Chen Chenmo, which has uh, which was transcribed by his student. Uh, and then uh, this was trans this has been translated uh, by other people also and there's also one translation in one volume I forgot by his name uh, okay so so this is taking this and bring it it's in a very very teachable style and there are a lot of jokes in there <laughs> a lot of stories it was Pabunka's, uh, Pabunka's way of, of delivery of teaching, he would give a lot of jokes, and uh, that's one of the things that has become like almost like the Tibetan, uh, what do you call that? The Tibetan calling card. Calling card. <laughs> Is that a calling card? Is what you call a calling card? Like uh, it's like a, uh, in every Tibetan, whenever you go to a Tibetan teaching, there's a very serious, serious tone, serious tone, serious tone, and every once in a while, there's a joke given. There's a lot of laughter, and there are some Tibetans who don't go. We don't even go into the Tibet, to the serious part. All they do is joke from beginning to end <laughs> in giving a teaching. <laughs> okay. uh, maybe that's one of the appeals of the Tibetans. <laughs> uh, uh, and you you hear uh, some people who had who've had sort of like experience of going to 
other teachers and then going to a Tibetan te teacher and sort of making a comparison. And that's one of the things that one of the things that they've noticed is that in, when they go to Tibetan teachings, there's a lot of laughing going on, and when they go to uh, other teachers, there's a lot of seriousness going on. Are they doing the young monks now? They're doing rapping now. Rapping? Yeah. Uh, are they? There's a there's a form of Buddhism called rap Buddhism. Rap Buddhism. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Joke, to maybe rap next. If it's what's going to get people, that's what's good, if we're going to do it. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, so, uh, so sort of condense the teaching. Uh, finally, uh, actually, as a as a response to uh, a request to one of his disciples, Jason uh, Kappa uh, wrote uh, a, a letter, really. And this is, really, this is the letter. Well, not all of it. Actually, Pabon Karimpoche is in here also. This is Pabon Karimpoche uh, teaching on Jason uh, uh, Kappa's uh, letter that he wrote to one of his disciples, Sako Ombo, who lived very far away, and wrote him a letter to sort of like uh, summarize the path to him, okay? And that, that this is the text that we're going to go into. And, and when we need to, uh, when we need to uh, get further clarification, we'll go into, into, into these, these two, okay? So that's the story of how uh, of this text that is called, the, this genre of teaching called Lam Rim, Chen, Lam Rim teaching came into to existence. So it's something that you find, it's a, it's a type of teaching that you find within, within Tibetan Buddhism, but it doesn't mean necessarily that only Tibetans have arranged the path into stages. You know, uh, every form of Buddhism has its stages. You do this, and then you do that, and you do this, and you do that. And the idea of arranging the path into, uh, into stages goes all the way back to the Buddha. Uh, uh, you can you really consider that uh, remember that that big text we started we were reading it was blue it was about this thick we were reading it for some time but we weren't reading it we were uh, reading a, a paragraph or two from it remember that big text we're doing the vows before the vows when I started yeah the 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 uh, the perfection of wisdom text. The large, it's called the larger perfection of wisdom? How is it called? The large book, on, what's it called? That's 100,000. Why? No, the one by uh, Konzi. Oh. Konze or Konzi. Or Konz. the 8,000 line one, the Konzi. No, he has the 8,000 line. He also translated the, the larger one. Large scope. The large book on the perfection of wisdom. Something like that. It's bigger in the blue. Uh, oh, this is what the, this is the transition of twenty-five thousand line, taking the eight thousand line as a as an outline, mm -hmm. and you also uh, put in some other stuff in there. Okay. Okay. So so that the perfection of wisdoms is is itself the uh, stages of the path teaching, even though it's not called the stages of the path teaching, because it, the, the 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 sutra begins with. Uh, Subhuti? Subhuti asking a question 
what is a bodhisattva? Well, what do bodhisattvas do? So the bodhisattva, so the Buddha has to now answer, was answering the question, and it became this twenty-five thousand lines answer. Okay. Uh, so that is so you can see all those different steps, of, all the different stages of the path in there also, but but it's not clearly defined. Oh, this is stage one, this is stage two, but all those different stages are in there. So to really Okay, to really bring it out in the, in the open, okay, this is stage two, this is stage one, this is needed before that one. Okay, that's what the Lamrim teachings are about. Uh, so, way after uh, writing his opus, the Lamrim Chen Mo, uh, Jason Kappa uh, wrote this text, which is like, I think maybe like 81, line, 81 uh, verses, I think, I'm not sure. But it's, it's very brief. Uh, it's not the entire book. This, this book is really, remember, Pambo Garimpoche's uh, teaching or commentary on, uh, on, the, on, that, on, on those verses that Pambo Garimpoche wrote. Okay. So, this is to say, and this is not the shortest lamrim. There's even a much shorter lamrim, which is like one page. <laughs> okay? So you can, uh, you can, you can condense, uh, the, the, the Buddha was, on, was uh, once, uh, as far as condensing the path, if you, could, if you could condense the path, if you could summarize the path, how would you summarize the path? The Buddha himself summarized the path. Okay? And, uh, and when he summarized it, he said, uh-huh. Yeah. Cultivate all positive. Cultivate all positive. And. Yeah. Yeah. Cultivate the mind. Okay. So, this is the Buddha now summarizing the whole path. If you were to summarize the whole path, well, having to memorize all these texts up there. Could you say that again? Yeah. Avoid. Avoid as as far as you can of all all negative actions. To the best of your ability, uh, engage in positive actions, virtuous actions, and completely discipline your mind. Discipline your mind. Okay. And and. And the Buddha w wasn't just summarizing it in the sense of saying, oh, this is how you summarize my teachings. He was saying, whoever is a Buddha, this is how you, this is how you can summarize their teaching. What, when, this, is, this, is the, this is the summary of any Buddha's teaching. Okay. So there might be a Buddha out there teaching in rap, you know, <laughs> in a universe somewhere in Rap City, <laughs> where people communicate in rap, where the Buddha, uh, where they're rapping. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, I think I read somewhere in some sutra when I was reading sutras a lot, where where the Buddha was talking about there is an actual. There, there, he said where the Buddha said that the Buddha, uh, the Dharma is transmitted in various forms, uh, uh, in verbal form, in nonverbal form, and also uh, there are places where uh, uh, realms where people communicate in in, in music. And the Dharma is communicating in music. Yeah. Well, so whatever is the communication, 
but the essence of it is always going to be teach people how to avoid all arms, what, what, what is harming, how to avoid it, what is uh, uh, virtue, how do you engage in it to perfect it, and what is the mind, and what are the things to, uh, to, uh, to, what are the things to do to discipline the mind, and why you need to do it. Okay. So, so taking that into consideration, now we go into. Uh, so, if if you if you want to, uh, uh, you know, get a, get yourself a copy of this text. If you don't have it already, get one. If you have it already, you can bring it. What is the name of it? Uh, the principal teachings of Buddhism. Okay. And we're going to go through this book from cover to cover, if you don't mind. You do, do you mind if you go from cover to cover? <laughs> no, not at all. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to do the, the copyright page? <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. No, Trojan? She did that? We, we went up here for a retreat once and we, we thought John Stillwell was leading it and she, she came in there and, okay, tomorrow morning, 4.30, start from page one of the, uh, the uh, succession. Mm. Read the entire thing all the way through. <laughs> From the copyright page. Cover to cover. Cover to cover. Okay. Classics of Middle Asia. Songka about the principal teachings of Buddhism. So we got the cover covered. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Did, did I brag about this text already? This particular uh, uh, copy? I didn't brag about. Did I brag about? Did I brag about a copy of the? The one that fell the pages off? No, not that one. You touched on that subject last week. Last week? Well, this one. Now, did I brag about this particular copy? No. No? Oh, I got it. Oh, that's the one that signed it. Yes, I did brag about it already. I didn't hear that. I didn't Well, remember, this text was written, it was a letter written to a monk named Tako Ombo. Right? And uh, when I went to, to, the last time I was in, in Dharamsala, I met somebody who's supposed to be the reincarnation of Tako Ombo. And I had this text, what do you think, I, I'm Westerner, what, do, what, do, what, what did I do? Yes, you Can you please autograph my book? <laughs> yeah, you're Tako Ombo, by the way, so this is the text that was written for you. <laughs> so he's, he... Uh, he he autographed it. He, well, he, he signed it. <laughs> with what name? With, 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 what's his name? <laughs> his name is... Uh, uh, his name is not Tsako Ombo, by the way. Okay. But, Tsawong. Uh, Tsawong. Tsawong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. 2005? Was that long ago? Five years ago. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. At least five years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. he doesn't have any recollection of that life, though, does he? No, I didn't ask him. <laughs> I didn't ask him. 
No, he, he actually, <laughs> he has a card that says, I'm the reincarnation of... Uh, <laughs> what do you do? Oh, here's my card. I'm the reincarnation. That's what I do. <laughs> okay. Not trying to sound uh, sacrilegious. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's go. Let's try to finish this. This is a local border signing these uh, books. <laughs> uh, no. Actually, I met him in a restaurant. <laughs> All right, so, uh, so who's Tsongkhapa? Tsongkhapa is the founder of the Gelupa order. His name was, he wasn't, he wasn't, his mother didn't give him the name Tsongkhapa. Uh, uh, Tsongkha is a place uh, in India, and in India, in, uh, in Tibet. Okay? Tsongkhapa means the one from Tsongkha. Okay, and J Tsongkhapa, J means Lord, the Lord who came from Tsong, Tsong, Tsong. Uh, is, uh, his, his ordination name is what is, it came to be known as Lo Tsong Takpa. Okay. Uh, this, this is the only date I can ever remember because I uh, <laughs> burned it into my memory. Is is dates thirteen fifty seven fourteen nineteen? Ask me any other date, I, I don't know uh, because I'm very bad with dates. But for some reason, I was able to drill this into my memory. Okay, and Pabonka Rinpoche was way after that. It was nineteenth century, maybe nineteenth century, eighteen seventy eight, nineteen forty one. Okay, uh, it's interesting how Pabonka Rinpoche gained such a influence and notoriety among the Gelupas, because he wasn't like some great tuku or anything like that. It was just his, uh, his teaching style and then his, I guess, persistence, I, I would say, that, that sort of, he, he became the most, in, because he was, he, I think he was probably the first Lama to really have a, to really go on a, to really make a, 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 a career out of Having a what you call it? A Public discourse. No, making like tours. Speaking circuit. Speaking circuit. Like lecture talk. Like <laughs> yeah, like that. I mean, he was all over Tibet, traveling, giving giving talks, giving teachings, mm-hmm. and and in that way, he gathered a lot of disciples, and he became a very influential uh, uh, among the Galupas. So it was 1941 uh, he passed away. So it was around that time, around the 13th Dalai Lama. I think he may have. Mm. Yeah, definitely the 13th Dalai Lama. Mm. So, uh, and again, Pabonka Rinpoche, his mother didn't call him Pabonka. Like, you know, Tsongka means the onion, onion, onion field place, like a place where they grow onions. So he became known as the Onion Place. So uh, his mother didn't call him Onion Guy. No. <laughs> and Pabonka, Pabonka means big rock, boulder. So his mother didn't call him Boulder. Okay. So it, it, people, later people came to be known. Uh, so it, it, for most of the time, <laughs> when it's a one name, if it's a Tibetan who has a one name, Tsongkhapa, Pabonka, uh, Pabonkapa, uh, Pabonka, yeah, Pabonka. Uh, uh, most, more for most of uh, you, you can be, you can uh, rest assured that it was it's a name that is given to them 
by the, by the population. Okay. It's just a part of their part of their social culture, I guess, to strip you of your name and give you another one. Yeah, why didn't they call him Dipankara? They call him Atisha. Okay. All right. Uh, so his name was Jamba Tenzen Tinle Gyatso. He had a real long name. Jamba Tenzen Tinle Gyatso. And you see all these, you, you see these names all over the place. Jamba, there are a lot of Jambas, a lot of Tenzin, a lot of Gyatso's. Okay. And, that, and that's also uh, among the, the different names of the Dalai Lama. Okay. I think the Tenzin. Yeah, Tenzin is part of Dalai Lama's name. Tenzin Gyatso. Tenzin Gyatso. He has others. He has a bunch of others. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, this particular, uh, and so this was a teaching given on the three, what is called the, the text, has a name, uh, the principle, translated has the principal teachings of Buddhism, or the, the principles of the path, or the three principles of the path. Okay. It was a teaching given by Pabon Karim Pache on the three principal teachings of the path. It was transcribed by who the one who became like uh, Pabonga Rinpoche's most famous disciple, Chijang Rinpoche. Okay, Chijang Rinpoche. And Chijang Rinpoche uh, passed away in 19... This Chijang Rinpoche passed away in 1981. Okay. And this Chijang Rinpoche became uh, famous because he was uh, a, a, the junior tutor of the, the, the present Dalai Lama. And my teacher, Geshe Lopsan Tachin, was a, a student of both Pabon Karimbache. He met Pabon Karimbache, and then he became a student, um, uh, a student of uh, Chujang Rinpoche. And uh, almost every Gelugpa uh, in uh, at the time of. Pabonka Rinpoche at the time of Chijang Rinpoche, almost, not everyone, but to the point where you can almost say everyone, because it's, it was so far spread, can, says that their, main te- their root teacher is Chijang Rinpoche. So Chijang Rinpoche became the main teacher of almost every single uh, teacher, almost every uh, Gelupa. So my teacher became one of his, was one of his uh, students. Um, Okay, so now all these beings are living in, as reincarnations. Except for Tongaba. And the Gelupas will tell you there will not be a reincarnation of, of Tongaba. There, there, there may be emanations everywhere, but it's not going to be a Tulku, someone who's going to be recognized, oh, this is the reincarnation of Tongaba. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, what the Tibetans say is that... Uh, what the what the one that's, that what the Gelupa says like the uh, the mold has been broken. <laughs> okay. You can't have a. You can't. You, it's it, you can't you can't make a copy of this one. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, not really. Uh, Okay, this is the title page, Principal Teaching of Buddhism. 
It's a, uh, it's a commentary by Pabon Karimboche, transcribed, that was transcribed by his, by his student, Chujo Rinpoche. And Chujo Rinpoche taught it to my teacher. Uh, I, I think my teacher actually sat at the, one of those teaching, with the teaching of, the teaching of, that became this, 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 this text. And this particular translation was in, in, in concert with Michael Roach. It's a student of, uh, uh, of uh, Losan Tache. First printing, 1988. <laughs> Copyright page. We just went through that. Okay. All right. You, you, uh, I don't know if I should read this to you. It's, it's, uh, it's the storytelling part again of uh, teachers. The forward is my teacher explaining how he came uh, into, how he came in connection with this, with this particular teaching. And it's, again, extremely funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, let's, let's read this. Yisha Lohsang was sitting as usual, staring at the ceiling with his mouth wide open. We were young monks in Sera, one of the greatest Buddhist monasteries of Tibet. I thought he was going to say one of the greatest monasteries of the world, but he says it's only Tibet. <laughs> we sat in long toes, long rows, facing each other, chanting one of the holiest prayers of our religion, the offering to lamas. That's what they call the Lama Chupa. You probably have heard of it mostly in the Tibetan, Lama Chupa. Okay? Offering to lamas. That's what its translation means. And in every Gelukpa monastery, it's considered to be uh, the, a, prayer that you, a prayer that you come to memorize just because you sit in, uh, in those, in, in those uh, gatherings where they keep chanting it all the time. Okay? And there are very way, various ways of where they chant it. There's the fast, and there's a very slow, and this, 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 off, this prayer can last, uh, can last from, you know, from 34, 45 minutes to like a few hours. Okay. So, and you can imagine, uh, in a monastery, you know how, in a monastery, how the, the how would you say, the pews, which is how you call it? Like in the church, you have the people sitting in pews, facing everybody facing the facing front, but in the monastery, everybody uh, the the place where the priest would be, where the abbot is sitting, uh, is all the way in the front, like in the east, and then the the people are, f are facing each other. They're not facing. They're not facing uh, the, the teacher. That's probably why if you go to some uh, centers, instead of Everybody facing the, the teacher probably will be facing each other. Okay. I don't know where they got that from, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 uh, particularly Buddhist. I'm not sure if it's particularly uh, Indian. I'm not sure if uh, in, if uh, in the other religions of, that came out of India, if if they also sit that way when they when they are in gathering. But uh, but specific, but it's, it's every Buddhist uh, culture, when especially uh, the ordained, when they're sitting in a, in a, in, a, in a gathering in a congregation, that's how they sit. 
all the monks face each other. And it's supposed to be from senior to most junior. The one closest to the throne, the one closest to the teacher, is the most senior. And, oh yeah, you've you've seen this uh, when you when you attend His Holiness's teachings, when you see the monks who sit on the throne and uh, on the throne who sit on the on the on the stage with His Holiness, they all fa- they all face each other. And the most senior is closest to His Holiness. So the first row are the most seniors, and among the seniors, the most senior sits over there, and the senior is uh, in in the Theravadan countries. The senior is the one who's, 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 who's been ordained the longest. And uh, uh, in Theravadan in countries, they're called uh, king of the Sangha, Sangharaj. Okay? And there are a lot of Sangharaj in, in, in uh, Theravadan countries. Uh, so that will be the most senior. In, 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 uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure how it's arranged in Zen, but in Tibetan Buddhism, the most senior is most senior in practice. Not, not necessarily the one who's been holding a particular vow the longest. So you could have a little kid sitting at the most senior, at the most senior place because he's supposed to be the reincarnation of some great high lama. Okay? But in the Theravadan country, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter uh, if you're 75 years old uh, and you already have your great renown, you made your name, and you became, you became ordained, and in some uh, 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 22-year-old who's been ordained uh, a year old, a year before you, he's, he's your senior. Okay. So, so it's the the ordination determines the seniority. So, all right. So I'm sure you were sitting like that, facing each other, doing their prayers. So he was a full 10 feet away. Who was a full 10 feet away? He was talking about Yeshe Losong. <laughs> Yeshe Losong was sitting as usual, sitting at the ceiling with his mouth wide open. He was a full 10 feet away, still daydreaming with a wide, mouth, wide open mouth. I was the class cut up, my teacher. Smart, but very, but with a mischievous streak that got worse around some of my irreverent playmates. Two were sitting with me, one on, to each side, and not concentrating much on the prayer either. I made them a bet that I could hit Yeshe Losong right in the mouth. <laughs> we had this game called Pagda. Pagda means arrow, <laughs> which means the arrow of dough. <laughs> We made a little bowl of barley dough and flicked it with our middle finger. This was the sort of thing I was good at, (laughs) since I didn't waste much time studying, (laughs) as I was supposed to. Yishalosan was still slack-jaw, giving a good target. (laughs) As the chanting rose to a crescendo, I took aim and fired. The dough bowl not only reached his mouth, but shot right through to the back <laughs> and made a tremendous, satisfying twock <laughs> sound as it hit. And so he starts choking and spinning and my friends on each side are roaring with laughter. Up comes the gurgen. 
with the Gurgen, our housemaster, who was supposed to keep an eye on us young ones during the ceremonies. It's like a disciplinarian. No, Geshe Dage is the uh, Gigu. Oh. This is this is like this is like a Gigu, but the Gigu, but but for a specific uh, dom. <clears throat> Geshe Dage is for the whole monastery. Oh. Yeah. Uh, keep an eye on the young ones and uh, during the ceremonies, and spots the offenders. They are still laughing. I kept a good straight face face through the whole thing. He carries a small stick for just such occasions and begins laying it on them from back from the back of the row. They start crying but they can't stop laughing <laughs> and get a good beating. And Yesha Losong is still choking and I'm sitting like a good young monk and get away scot free. <laughs> They told me later it was worth the beating to see Yeshe Losang's face all screwed up. And they didn't, beat, they didn't bear me any grudge that I got all free. <laughs> so this little scene was very typical of my early years at Sarah. Sarah, as I already said, is one of the greatest monasteries in, uh, in Tibet, but you forgot to say the world. <laughs> the Gelukpas, uh, uh, there are uh, many monasteries. Uh, and and all the, each almost every each monastery has an affiliation with some sort of grand uh, with, with some big uh, tradition. Uh, there are three. They're, they're called the Densasum, the three the three main monasteries. So the Gelupas have three main monast monasteries. Uh, it's the Sera, Jepung, and Ganden. Okay, Ganden was actually founded by uh, at the time of Jesongkapa. And Jepung was funded by one of his disciples, and then Sarah was is the youngest one. Even though uh, these are the three main monasteries, it doesn't mean that the Gelupas only have three monasteries. They have a lot of they have they have hundreds, monasteries, thousands of monasteries. There's also Rato Monastery, which is becoming very big. Uh, there are all other kinds of monasteries, but these are the three main monasteries. It's like the big three main universities. And if you, if you can go study there, and these are literally universities. Uh, that's why they have the official name of the monastic university. Uh, other, other places, other monasteries, they don't necessarily have to study as, as rigorously as they do in Sarat and Drepung and, and, uh, and Ganden. Uh, they could uh, focus mainly, they could, they could probably just focus on ritual, they would probably, probably focus on one particular practice, and studying becomes like a secondary thing. But at the main monastery, studying is the main thing, is the, the, is the, is the center of what they do. Okay. Uh, and Pabon Karimpoche was also a student of, of Sera Monastery. Uh, so like many Tibetan boys, I was put into a monastery at a young age. This was in 1928, when I was only seven. At first... We miss our parents and brothers and sisters, but then again, our house in the monastery was a wonderful place for a boy. We would be with, our, we, we, we would be with about 50 other boys our own age, which made for tremendous entertainment when we could get away with it, and also a deep feeling of brotherhood as we passed through the rigorous 25-year course uh, together. And finally graduated with the coveted degree of Geshe, Master of Buddhist Learning.
and he doesn't go into. I think he goes into it. There are many. There are various forms of uh, of geshe. Uh, geshes. I think there are four, four, four levels of geshes, okay? and the highest one is plaramba, and that's what the ngaundage geshe ngaundage. That's what ngaundage geshe losundage. That's what kerimbache. Well, any, anyone who anyone who happens to be uh, who gets to become uh, the abbot of one of these three main monasteries, they have to have uh, been a la rampa geshe. La rampa. Yeah. Okay. Uh, la it, is like a, a divine rank. Rank of, uh, a geshe of divine rank. Okay. That's, that, that's what it would mean. Now, they don't necessarily know uh, uh, as far as the the, the, the the text that are studied there, there isn't an actual added and now you become La Rampa Geshe uh, it's just that they have their understanding of it of the same text as the 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 other Geshe's study they study the same text they study the, they have to have some level of proficiency but they, their level of understanding is much more, uh, much higher than the others. And they're supposed to memorize the root text. That's part of the, being a Larumpa Geshe. Uh, okay, so my own house was Garong, which was one of the larger uh, house, I guess, uh, what would be a good way of uh, good comparison? I guess what you might call a dorm, a dorm uh, in, in college. A dorm, like you have different dorms, yeah. Yeah. but that's a way of describing. But it doesn't necessarily fit exactly like a dorm. Do we understand a dorm? Whereas each house actually is like it's a little, its own little monastery. So like, a, so like maybe the university, and then you have different colleges within the university. Yeah, they do have something like that. Like for example, in Sarah. You could say it's divided into two colleges. You have Sera Me and Sera J. And then Sera uh, uh, Me has different houses. And, and it's really, uh, uh, the comparison is really thinking of uh, you going away, you need a place to stay, and then the house where you stay, and the, and the person who takes, and you come under the, the, the the discipline of the person who is in charge of that house. I think there's one, one other difference would be that from the age of, let's say, if they go on at eight until mm -hmm. 13 or so, it, it's kind of like the primary school which feeds into the university because the, there is teaching done, but it's not... The, the kids in the houses, from what I understand, right, they, they, they can receive teaching from the house master when they're in eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Um, they're not going to regular classes. But they, they might be getting some rudimentary instruction. Yeah, they're, they're learning how to read, things like that. Right. Especially That's not a house, I think. So it's like, it's like kind of like a primary school, and then it becomes more like a dorm, maybe, once they're taking courses within the university itself, when mm -hmm. they're 13 or 14. I think, is that when they start? With the, with They start with logic at 13 or 14? Uh, around that age. Yeah. Actually, no, some, some even earlier. Really? Yeah. Early? yeah. Okay. yeah. 12. It also uh, represents where they're from, I think. I was, yeah, the house. Garong is those from a certain area. From Garong. Yeah. 
So the, the, the different houses uh, are supposed to uh, sort of give the, 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 young, the, young, the youngsters a sense of uh, connection back to their home. So everyone in that house is somebody from where they came from, supposedly. But it doesn't always happen that way. Like, for example, Rinpoche was, not, was from Lhasa, but he was put in, in Gyalong. He was put in a, house, a Gyalong house. Okay. Uh, my own house was Gyalong, which was one of the larger of the about 15 houses in Sarame College. So I guess they use the word college here for, for that. Itself one of the three great divisions of Sera Monastery. Uh, no longer three anymore. Now only two. At its peak, uh, Sera had over 8,000 teachers and disciples studying the ancient books of Buddhist wisdom. Now, Well, it's, it's, it's in thousands. <laughs> uh, now, Sera has been uh, uh, sort of transplanted in South, South, South India. Uh, and both Sera May and Sera Jay, and they're completely separate, almost, I mean, not almost, I mean, almost. Well, they're completely separate entities. And they come together once in a while. But they have their own curriculums, they have their own... Uh, they have, they're really, 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 very. It's like two separate people living, sharing the same uh, borders, so to speak. Uh, so they're transplanted, transplanted now in uh, in South India, in Balakupe. Okay. Our monastery was located just outside of Lhasa, the capital of Tibet which is the mountainous kingdom surrounded by Mount Everest and the rest of the Himalayas, north of India and the rest of China, and west of China. Although the Buddha was born in India, Tibet is where his complete teaching has survived up to the present day. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> How do you take that? you think it's being... Uh, that, that doesn't... That, that, just pass it over. Okay. <laughs> Although the Buddha was born in India, Tibet is where his complete teachings have survived up to the present day. They made an effort to preserve a lot of the, uh, the teachings that other that other areas only partially preserved because they were interested in all those different common mm. teachings and, and the Mahayana teachings and the Vajrayana teachings. Mm. The Sriracha, wasn't it? Sri Lanka. A lot of the, the teachings from the Theravada. Yeah. yeah. They were a repository of the Buddhist teaching as well, weren't they? Oh, see, see the way he's asking it? As well. Oh, as well. Those are right. Some of the teachings. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, now, he said, he didn't say uh, this is where, this is the only place where the Buddha's teachings are found. He said this is where the complete teachings of the Buddha can be found. And this is the, one, of the, one of the remarkable things that you find within Tibetan Buddhism. And it is because uh, of the Lam Rim tradition. Uh, the teachings that is uh, found among the Theravadins, you will find it with the Tibetans. And they don't call it Theravadin teachings. They call it Buddhism. The teachings that you find in China, you find it, you find it with, 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 uh, with the Tibetans. And then there are some teachings that are... Uh, like the Vajrayana, for example, 
Vajrayana, the Vajrayana tradition, uh, for some reason, got concentrated in the Himalayan uh, region. You find it in Tibet, and you find it in Bhutan, you find it in other places. But in other places, like in Bhutan, they just call themselves Vajrayana. They don't necessarily uh, follow a Lamrim form of teaching. Okay. But, uh, you have to understand the lamb, but the lamb rim really takes everything that the Buddha has taught and lay it out in, in, a, in a way that is systematic where you go from one to the, to the next, one to the next, one to the next, with, without excluding anything. Okay. So you have uh, 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 or, or, or something else called the, the four schools. Supposedly there were four schools Coming out of kind of coming out of India, and yet they are all, even though they are considered to be one, is supposed to be a much more sophisticated, much more superior form of explaining the uh, particular uh, the teachings. Yet they are all studied all together in within the within the Tibetan tradition. Okay, um, okay I'm going to finish this. The tax? Okay, they were brought to our country about a thousand years ago, translated carefully into our language and kept safe in our in our mountain monasteries. While in the in the outside world the Buddhism the Buddhist books and monasteries and monks themselves have nearly disappeared. Advocates of total nonviolence in a violent world. Mm. Uh, I think perhaps what uh, Rinpoche was referring to as uh, the only time that Buddhism came in danger well, from outside within, within Tibet was now because of the, uh, when the Chinese uh, communists uh, invaded uh, Tibet and since there were communists there were uh, they thought religion was you know, a waste of time, so they tried to erase all forms of, of, of religion. And to a people uh, who's, who, have, who, who have made the very purpose of their society, the very purpose of their life to be centered around the religion, to destroy the religion is to might as well destroy the people. So that's when the Dalai Lama uh, decided to uh, uh, escape. And now Dalama has been in exile now since 1950, since 1959, right? Since 1959. Uh, and when during the time during the time, uh, no, it wasn't that the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party invaded Tibet, and then Dalama ran away. They invaded, and the Dalai Lama tried to have some sort of dialogue with them. Tried to have. Uh, uh, some sort of uh, come to some sort of uh, uh, agreement, but all the time trying to save, to make the, the main thing, trying to save the culture, trying to save the, the, this tradition. Uh, and at, at the same time, the Chinese government, uh, Chinese uh, Communist Party at the time, tried to try to erase 
religion. They, they, they started their program trying to erase the religion way back then. So the Dalai Lama left, and uh, and almost I don't know it's, I don't know how it happened. Uh, if they called each other, uh, okay, I'm, the Dalai Lama is leaving. Everybody, pack your bags, let's go together. And now you find every monastery, every major monastery, re-translated re-translate, in somewhere in India. Jepung is there, Ganden is there, all the three main seats of the Galikupas are there, the main monasteries of, of the Kagyus are there, the main monasteries of all, all the Nimas, they're all some outside of Tibet. Somehow they find and set themselves outside of Tibet. How does that, that you just start running a bell in my mind that, that he left, but His Holiness of Panchen Lama stayed, you know, stayed there, I guess, right? Mm. Uh, why, and the Panchen Lama is part of the, the tradition? Uh-huh. Why is there not very much mentioned about the Panchen Lamas as a Why is any very important? Why aren't they? Why don't they seem very important? You know, in the West, we don't hear very much about the Panchen Lamas, other than the ones that you know they're uh, you know controlled by the communists. You know, you have oh, you mean uh, other the than the tradition of Panchen Lamas to include the one who decided to stay and not escape, mm-hmm. and but you, we don't hear very much about them from the teachers who come to from the East. Uh, they, they, they're not noteworthy. What, what, remember, the Dalai Lama has both a secular and also uh, a religious role. He is uh, the ruler of Tibet. So th- that's his political role. The Panchen Lama doesn't have such a role. The Panchen Lama is a leader of a monastery. It happens to be a leader who has a particular responsibility to authenticate the, the, the next Dalai Lama when he's found. He is, is it not second spiritually? No, he's not second. There's no, he's not like a regent or a vice, no, vice no, ruler. No, not second next to him, but, but when it comes to the spiritual hierarchy. No, no. So go on that. No, no. Yeah. A question somewhat related to that. Uh, in the different readings I do, I notice... Some people get to refer to us as His Holiness as well as the Dalai Lama. Is that just the heads of those uh, false sects or sects of Buddhism? Oh, His Holiness? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but. uh, Yeah, the Kamapa. Yeah. His Holiness, the Kamapa. So, how does that differentiate? Is there a major distinction or are they minor? Well, you can say there are many holinesses in, in, in Buddhism. It's, and I guess it, it comes from the from the from the understanding that there are many Buddhas. In other, in, probably in other religions, uh, there can only be one of this superlative title because they understand of this. There can only be one. For there's only one Jesus, and there cannot be someone else who who who, who, who gains that rank, so to speak. But in Buddhism, 
everybody's supposed to be, get to become the superlative. So that in that in that sense, the you have you can have a lot of holinesses. His holiness the Dalai Lama, his holiness the Kamapa, his holiness the 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 well, the his holiness the the Panchen Lama, his, you know, yeah. Or eventually, his holiness. That was a very long introduction. <laughs> And uh, I'm not going to go read this book from cover to cover, <laughs> word for word. Uh, but I'll extract things from the forward that to help us, un to, give, to help us give us a, an understanding of, because now we're talking about Tibetan Buddhism, and what Rinpoche is doing in the forward is sort of give us a, a, a good picture of what is Tibetan Buddhism. That's why I'm going to go through it. Okay. But remember, this is... If you were to, uh, the, the question, if you were stranded on an island somewhere, what book would you, would, would you take? Yeah. If you have this book, you have everything you need. Okay. It's portable, it's light. <laughs> okay. uh, any questions? Oh yes, this is supposed to be a portrait of Jason Kappa. It's supposed to be actually close to how he looked. Yeah, this is the one that it has. It has the name "Look Like Me." Yeah. That's the name of, of the statue. Is the, did it survive? Yes. Was it was it destroyed? I thought it survived, but hmm? I'm not sure where it is. Oh. And for some reason, I, I remember hearing something. Uh -huh. Did they take the books? Take oh yeah, the yeah. So these all came from Tibet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, when 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 you know monks and uh, lamas are escaping, for them the most important thing to take with them are the, are the books. That's how the books came. Yeah. I think perhaps if it wasn't for those who escaped. The Buddhism, the Tibetan Buddhism that somehow survived in Tibet would not have survived. Yeah. I think they were they were kept there just as a as a competition. They were kept there to compete with the Buddhism that is the Tibetan Buddhism that is outside. Sort of, sort of give a face to the world. Uh, don't listen to them; they're lying. It's reserved. That kind of that kind of stuff. I, I mean, this is my two cents. <laughs> Probably worth one cent. No, uh, not. Sort of made a personal vow. Not to. Yeah. You were there, right? I decided not to go. I mean, I was in Chengdu. You, you were going to. You were going to. Close closest Chengdu, and then it's only a few hundred miles away. But uh, no, I didn't. Mm. I don't want to go to a place where they're not even teaching kids Tibetan. So. Mm. Um, and the, the crafts are probably imported from Tarasa, where they sell. And it's very sad. It's hot in there. Chinese. Sorry? I've been there. There's Chinese now. Except for the Jokhan. The Jokhan, the Jokhan uh -huh. where they go around that. Mm -hmm. Real old Chinese. Really? Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You 
check that the Tibetans stayed there, some of them stayed as a competition? Oh, not the, not they stayed to compete, yeah, and, but yeah. the, Tibetan, that, the Tibetan Buddhism that you, are, you find now in China. In Tibet. In Tibet. <laughs> in Tibet. Okay. Uh, the reason that the, I think the, they were allowed, the reason that uh, there is still some sort of Tibetan Buddhism oh. in Tibet is that they were allowed to remain that way so that they can, they can be some sort of a competition. Oh, I see. All right, so so you the government can say that you know we're still we're, we respect religions, you know here. Okay. Yeah, his, still his, yeah we, we allow them to practice religions. So look at that, look at that. They're still doing Tibetan Buddhism. We didn't destroy it. Right. You, uh, all right. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm not saying that this. I'm not, this is not official. This is just my. Um, so my Recently? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. That, that's on the outskirts someplace in the hills, right? Of Tibet. I didn't know that. Where was it? This was recently in Tibet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Chinghai. 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 Oh, that was in China. Chinghai province. It was in Tibet. 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 It was in Oh, you have what Tibet proper, but then you have Ando and Kong, which are maybe Sichuan and Qinghai province. But this was just, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the one was about six months ago or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that was in Qinghai uh, province, which is the old uh, Ando where it's so old. Can we assume that they were still practicing pure Mahayana? They were practicing pure. Oh, I mean, because they are, well, I guess the more out there they are, it, you can say the, there's some sense of they've kept whatever they were doing before the, uh, before the, before the invasion. But because they were out there, they, they were not having practicing something that has been tested and tested tested. Could have been just a family keeping something going. Not, not, a, not an institutional kind of a thing like in, in that you find in the monasteries where you have scholars coming in, cleaning it up, cleaning it up, cleaning it up. Yeah. So also ironically, out, out there, there are actually monks who have pictures of His Holiness and it's not really enforced, uh, even in China, on the, mm -hmm. the border. Mm -hmm. you know, because the government doesn't care. Those are not the important places. Yeah. So they, they basically left alone. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but they're not great seats over them. Yeah. You were going to say something, Elizabeth? I was just, um, in your estimation, how authentic do you think those teachings are in my work in the Tibetan monasteries? Number two, if they're not authentic, or not as authentic as they could be, do you believe that it's part of the political agenda of China? Um, yeah, the, 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 the teachings that are now going on in the, the main monasteries back in Tibet, they're definitely... Uh, uh, um, uh, how do you say? Influenced. Influenced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're not allowed to teach certain things, and they're and they're in, they're and they're forced to teach communism as part of their religion. So, yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, uh, as far as the yogic tradition is concerned, we can't really touch that. You can never, it doesn't matter. I mean, they tried to touch it in, in China uh, during, the, during the Cultural Revolution. And there are certain, uh, as far as practitioners are concerned, uh, there are certain practitioners you just can't touch. And the only way to, uh, to stop them, to stop their influence, is what they, what they did with a lot of high practitioners, is to isolate them. Because if, if you just go out and kill them, then you're in trouble. You, you, you're going to cause another revolution within your revolution. So you keep them alive, keep them away, and let people know that they're alive somewhere, but they keep aspiring to one day meet with them, where the, with, the, with, the, with the thought is that they'll just die alone somewhere. So these kinds of people, these, you, can't, you can't force them to accept a different philosophy because they're living their philosophy. You can't, make them, you can't brainwash them. So there's a lot of attempt of brainwashing within the monasteries in Tibet. That's why it's, uh, it's suspect as to their, their, uh, the authenticity of what they're teaching. But I'm sure the strength of the, uh, of the tradition that, that came out of there somehow is somehow giving some sort of transmission that is some authenticity to it. But you can't, I myself, I can't fully trust them. Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're continuing. They're continuing to they continue to function as institutions and as uh, they're perpetuating the institutions as any institution does. Interesting. They still teach the same textbooks. Yes, right? they'll teach the same textbooks for a thousand years. Yeah, six hundred years. Yeah. And, and too, the, I think the communist Chinese of the last ten years have felt more comfortable with their control over Tibetan areas that they're allowing some of these teachers that were in Tibetan areas to come west for short periods of time to teach. So you're getting some of that teaching that has been in Tibet and in the Tibetan areas in China now that are coming to the west, so you're just not getting just from India, you're getting it from... from oh yeah, I actually went to one of those teachers who lives in Tibet, who, who's allowed to visit the West whenever he wants, and uh, he been has been doing that. He's been go, going out and going teach and going back to Tibet. Uh, he's from uh, a lot of incredible stuff has been said about him. I guess it, only teachers of such caliber, who have uh, who, who are highly realized beings, uh, can be trusted as far as the teaching that comes out of them. One, one, one possible you know, good signs like in uh, I remember Zongskar can't say Rinpoche is the the abbot of the monastery that was in the movie in the movie The Cup mm. he actually went back to um, he went back to Tibet yeah so there are people like that who because he wanted to go back to Tibet and, and he had an opportunity to you know mm-hmm. to be at a monastery there so if you get people like that starting to come back maybe there's some hope Oh yeah, there, there, there is that going on, yeah, to some extent. Yeah. We have teachers who are going back to, to Tibet. 
and, and building, also they're building monasteries and mm -hmm. the Chinese are allowing them to do that. Mm -hmm. it, generally non non Dilipa traditions, so mm -hmm. it's much more heavily <laughs> controlled in the Dilipa tradition. Yeah. The Dalai Lama is connected with the Gurupas. Yeah. And the Panchen Lama is connected with the Gurupas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are only five minutes over. break for those who are, who are taking a break. We resume in, uh, let's say, 1130. <laughs> okay. Meditation will be just meditation. Very brief, an hour. Okay. All right.